This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown coming to you on AMI-tv. I'm Dave Brown. It's Tuesday, January the 10th. 2023. Coming up in the second hour of the show, Panasonic has unveiled a new pair of smart glasses at CES. Nelson Rago of Cool Blind Tech will tell you all about them. And then it's another edition of the weekly news quiz. A couple of the regulars being put to the test, Karen McGee and Alex Smythe. But there's a special appearance from AMI's very own Janice Davidson Presick. Always appreciative when we can round out that round table by bringing in Janice. Before you hear any of that though, let's get to the regional news updates. The BC government is waiving the upfront application and assessment fees for internationally educated nurses. Those fees are typically about $3,700. Health Minister Adrian Dick says this is all about getting better care to people. It represents an important change for people so that they're not uh, dramatically out of pocket. Nurses are in significant demand and to put impediments in the system both in time, which costs money, and in costs for people simply to apply and go through our process is not the best approach. We want people uh, working, providing care for patients. The province will also spend $1.3 million to set up a new pathway that will cut the assessment time for applications from internationally trained nurses. Over to the prairies, Albertans on income support programs will begin receiving inflation relief payments at the end of this month. Affordability Minister Matt Jones says the first of six monthly $100 checks will be sent out on January 31st. Jones cautioned the process may not be very smooth. We can expect that there will be a few bumps along the way. Our commitment to Albertans is that we will deliver these, these payments in a safe, fast and effective way and that we will act quickly to adapt and respond as needed in the months ahead. The money is earmarked for people on income support programs like the Alberta Seniors Benefit, the Persons with Developmental Disabilities Program and Assured Income for the Severely Handicapped. Maybe it's time to change the name of that benefit. Other eligible Albertans can begin signing up on a government web portal by visiting or visiting a registry office starting on January the 18th. Over to Ontario, Toronto's police chief is calling for a million dollar budget increase. Chief Miam Demkew says the city, as the city grows, the police force needs to grow as well. When core service delivery metrics tell us that we can't adequately meet the demand in a growing city, we have a responsibility to ask for the investment and resources we need to do just that. I have to offer myself a little bit of a correction there. Can never trust myself to type properly in the morning. They're looking for a $50 million budget increase to the police services. Critics of the hike are calling for the money to be directed towards community initiatives. And finally, in Atlantic Canada, hopefully not stepping too much on Alex Smythe's toes with the National Weather Update, Environment Canada has issued a winter storm warning for parts of Newfoundland and Labrador until tonight. It says... Avalon Peninsula and St. John's along with surrounding areas could see up to 25 centimeters of snow. It also says parts of Cape Breton Island in Nova Scotia could see up to 15 centimeters of snow beginning this morning and becoming more intense throughout the day. That's your look at the regional news. Let's bring in Brock Richardson for a sports check. I, uh, Mr. Richardson, I need to apologize to you because I recommended that you watch the TCU Georgia national title football game last night. And, uh, I don't even know the final score, Brock, because I turned it off at 45 to seven, not necessarily such a great game for TCU and Georgia, but your reaction to the game and a thought that came to your mind as you uh, slogged through it. Well, let me tell you that it was uh, 65-7 was the end of the Ooh. football game. It was, uh, it, was, it, was, it was a good one uh, for one side <laughs> of the uh, football for sure. Uh, my thoughts, I have a uh, couple here. Let's start with uh, TCU quarterback uh, Max Duggan, mm-hmm. who has, has a really interesting story in that 
he wasn't part of the team and then made it and then uh, got his team to come to the final. I, I want to talk about how difficult this is. For one, you got your team to go to the final and you lose 65-7. That's tough to swallow uh, because you think, okay, I, I'm here, I'm, 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 I'm representing my school and it's all good. But to be to be that you know um, person that's not starting and to be kind of waiting on your time, that's really, really tough to do. Dave, as an athlete, I've been there and done that, and it's it's really tough. it's it's challenging. So even though the result doesn't look good and isn't the one you wanted, the fact that you could lead your team to the final and you weren't the initial quarterback, that's something to be. Yeah, you know, to behold and to be proud of for sure. Brock, you mentioned your own experience as an athlete. Do people underestimate how important resilience in mindset is when it comes to those moments when you're facing adversity? One hundred percent, and especially as a, uh, in this case, as a college athlete who, you know, you're you're looking to to prove something. You're looking to be someone. You're looking to go to the next level. You're looking to do all that. So you want to be at the forefront. And when you're not, and then you lead your team to the final, and then you have the kind of result they did, it's hard to look at the the positive and say, yeah, but look where I came from and look where I am now. In a year's time or whatever time it will take, he'll look back on this and realize what an achievement it was. And I and I hate necessarily, you know, patting on the back for achievements, but I just think it's important to know that, you know, this is this is something that you can look back on and say, I did something real positive. Mm-hmm. Um, as for the Georgia quarterback, Stet- Stetson, Stetson Bennett, Bennett the fourth, and just I mean, unbelievable. There were so many, so many air passes. There were so many. Uh, just he was able to just throw the football downfield, running like it was. They there was nothing that TCU could do. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know. To, to stop this whatsoever it just they just kept coming at them over and over again and and just so much fun to watch how he just cut up their defense and said nope gonna do this <laughs> gonna do that and by the way i'm still gonna throw touchdowns even when the game's in hand which sometimes you don't need to do but i get it you're trying to prove something as a college athlete i understand brock i'm going to engage in some hyperbole here stetson bennett uh he's like 37 years old uh he's he's actually the same age as nfl quarterback lamar jackson who's now in his fifth year in the league stetson bennett in uh same age as nfl quarterback lamar jackson who's in his fifth year in the league Mm -hmm. it gives you some sense of maybe the experience that stetson bennett brings to the table for the georgia bulldogs but well done by georgia they were dominant all year, all year long and uh, had a really great semifinal game against Ohio State. Showed a lot of resilience in that one. Congratulations to the Bulldogs. Winning back-to-back titles puts them in very rarefied air in college football. So well done by them. And you mentioned TCU quarterback Max Duggan. He has declared for the NFL draft. Probably not going to be an NFL star, but he has that makeup and character for the kind of guy who's going to be just an incredible backup quarterback for 10 or 15 years. So well done by Max Duggan. Brock, let's... Yeah, I just also want to say that the broadcast towards the end when they were doing, you know, their good time and in filling time, they said Georgia is going to be tough to not repeat. Their schedule allows for them to to run this back and do this. And as a school who has a lot of turnover at times when you're in college and things, it's it's tough to repeat. So we could be talking, you know, three uh, repeats as the broadcast yeah. was was yeah. saying last night, and well, and that's that's pretty cool. The fact that they sent 15 players to the draft last year and still ran it back with another undefeated season, they're probably going to send another dozen players to the draft this year. They Kirby Smart, their coach, has built a machine down there, an absolute machine in Athens, Georgia. Brock, let's turn to the hockey world. You and I have not talked enough about hockey. One, because we weren't on the air for a month, <laughs> but number. Number two, uh, we just haven't gotten enough hockey talk, but you've had a revelation here about NHL officiating, thinking if maybe there's a way an international rule could be incorporated into the National Hockey League. So, Brock, start here. Explain the rule that you have in mind before we start quibbling whether or not we could bring it to the NHL. So, okay, I had this conversation yesterday, and I and I want to have it again with you because I, I just do. And so the rule is that 
in the in, in international hockey, if the referee deems a penalty to be a major penalty, so hitting from behind, checking to the head, or any major penalty that that can exist, except fighting doesn't apply in this case. But the referee has the choice to review this and deem it as a two-minute minor. If he reviews it and it says, ah, no, I kind of made that wrong call, slowing it down, looks like this, etc. And so for me, and, and just to be clear before we start, you know, dissecting this, you cannot do that with a two-minute minor. You cannot go the other way. You can only go uh, up and then down. You can't go two-minute minor and then up. It only works one direction. And I'm curious to whether or not you feel this is this is a good thing. And I, and I will say that I can hear the argument of, you know, this slows down the game, you know, reviewing, et cetera. But the name of the game is to get it right. And I'm just curious what you think on this particular topic. Ooh, I mean, my concern here is the slowing down of the game, Brock, because some of it becomes objective. When we say if a high stick is worth a major, it's because you drew blood. When you hit somebody from behind, maybe the tendency should be to call majors. Maybe that would be better for player safety. But look at how long they're spending reviewing off sides right now, Brock. Something that should be fairly objective and obvious in a replay booth. We're talking about five, six, seven, eight minute reviews during these games that are already stretching past three hours in length. My instinct would say would be to say no, but the only way you can convince me if it's is it's about player safety and the refs are going to be more likely to be calling majors on those boardings, on those hits to the head, and then pulling it back. But there would need to be a really quick system in place to evaluate whether or not that major was appropriate. I'm talking sort of like a one minute, okay, was this was this the right call? Was this the wrong call? Okay, we're moving on. It was the right calls. What do you think? And and I will be honest and say that during the World Junior Hockey Championship, more often than not, it wasn't a one-minute discussion. More often than not, you are running into the, at minimum, two, three, four, sometimes even more than that, minutes. And the problem is, and, I, and I'm going back on what I said, the problem is if, if my goal is to get this right but yet still we're not getting it right because there was times that we'd slow it down and i'm like so you called that yesterday like this and i know it's two different referees i get it but the consistency of it wasn't there necessarily and so for me i'm not sure that that resolves it because if the whole goal is to get it right and in the eyes of commentators and people watching observers that it still wasn't, I'm not sure we accomplished that goal other than, as you point out, to slow it down even more, which I don't think anyone wants. Brock, one more story here. New England Patriots coach Bill Belichick coming back for another year after what was a, a difficult year in New England, but Belichick coming back, the, the GOAT, the GOAT, the winner, the guy who wins those title rings, at least when Tom Brady was his quarterback, coming back for one more year. What do you think? I think this is a case of, of Bill Belichick sitting back and recognizing that he is a lifer in football, for one. Secondly, I think he wants to prove that he can do it with another quarterback other than Tom Brady. I, I'm not sure that Max Jones is that person, but he, I believe that he is a winner through and through. And so for him, when we will talk about retirement, in his head, whether this comes to fruition or not, will be when and if he wins another championship with a different quarterback and so bill belichick is a winner through and through he is the grumpiest coach <laughs> there is out there i love watching his press conferences i think if he could give them to one word it would be so so good and and whatever but bill belichick will remain on the sidelines of the new england patriots for at least one more year bill belichick has earned the right to call his shot but it is time for the upper management at the patriots to tell him guess what your son doesn't get to be the defensive coordinator anymore maybe we're taking the nepotism out here and we're going to start hiring some professionals that are not named matt patricia joe judge or stephen belichick might be time for uh, the coach to surround himself with some better people but bill belichick has earned the right to call his shot on when he wants to go brock just like you've earned the right to promo the neutral zone that's the show that you you host Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Eastern Time on AMI-audio. What's coming up on the show today? Today we 
have a, a lengthy conversation on the idea of putting together the uh, Olympics and Paralympics in some way, shape or form, whether that is a good thing, a bad thing. So we uh, talk in depth about that. We also talk in depth about whether or not uh, the football incident that happened uh, with the Buffalo Bills has changed our ways in watching the game of football. So two really great conversations coming your way a little later on today. Well, well, Brock, we want people to listen to that conversation 11 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio or download the podcast on their favorite past, uh, p- podcast platform or find it on YouTube. But that idea of combining the Olympics and Paralympics, what do you say we revisit that one together tomorrow? Because I have a couple thoughts about that too. That would be great. I would enjoy that conversation immensely. Right on. Hey, Brock, have a great day, boss. You as well. That is Brock Richardson. He's the host of The Neutral Zone, which you can find Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Eastern Time on AMI-audio. You can find Alex Smythe at the AMI National Weather Desk. Here is your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. We'll start off in Cornerbrook, Newfoundland, where it's mainly cloudy. Minus 6 is the high, and it's feeling like minus 17. In Charlottetown, PEI... There's snow and blowing snow expected off and on today with up to 10 centimeters expected to fall. Wind gusts up to 60 kilometers per hour and the high is zero with a wind chill of minus 12. In St. John, New Brunswick, there's a few snow flurries this morning and then it'll be cloudy with the possibility of more snow in the afternoon. The high is minus two, but feeling like minus 13. In Quebec City, Quebec, It's mainly cloudy with a chance of snow in the morning, then clearing up in the afternoon. The high is minus four, feeling like minus 17. In Toronto, Ontario, it's mainly cloudy with a chance of snow early this morning. The high is zero, but feeling like minus five. In Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, there is a mix of sun and clouds with more clouds rolling in around noon. Minus seven is the high, with the wind chill making it feel like minus 17. In Brandon, Manitoba, it is a mix of sun and clouds with increasing cloud cover as the day goes on. Minus 9 is the high, minus 20 with that wind chill. In Regina, Saskatchewan, it's mainly cloudy with a chance of snow in the afternoon. Heavy fog has resulted in a fog advisory in the area. The high is minus 8, feeling like minus 17. In Lethbridge, Alberta, it's quite a beautiful day. It's a mix of sun and clouds, a high of 5 degrees, no wind chill in Lethbridge. Over to Red Deer, Alberta, it's mainly cloudy and there's that heavy fog impact in the area as well. So there's also a fog advisory in effect there. The high is minus five, feeling like minus 14. Up in Whitehorse, Yukon, it's cloudy with a chance of light snow. Wind gusts up to 50 kilometers per hour. Minus 10 is the high and that wind chill makes it feel like minus 21. To Kelowna, BC, It's a mix of sun and clouds. One is the high for the day and it's feeling like minus four. And finally, Vancouver, BC. Showers expected all throughout the morning. Then it'll be clearing up in the afternoon with 10 degrees as the high. That's your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Thank you very much. Alex, coming up next, Panasonic has unveiled a new pair of smart glasses at CES. Nelson Rago will tell you all about it. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Panasonic unveiled a new pair of smart glasses at CES last week. Nelson Rego, the founder of Cool Blind Tech, has some thoughts on this. Hey, good morning, Nelson. How are you? Doing good, Rick. Uh, how are you doing, Dave? I'm doing well. So, Nelson, this was done in partnership with Beal, a tech startup, and they are referring to this as life-changing glasses uh, for aiding with mobility. So let's start here. What makes these glasses different? How do they work? Uh, well, it's yet to be seen if, if they are different than other glasses. Uh, keep in mind, it is CES, so it, you know they hype up everything. So. <laughs> There's an advertising and marketing component behind some of this. Yes, uh, but uh, I mean, it is Panasonic, so it, it is the first time that they're doing this. Uh, and 
and they are partnering with uh, Beal, which is uh, the other side of this uh, uh, technology as well. So that that partnership is what, what's making this actually happen. Uh, most people are familiar with uh, Panasonic, so uh, but Beal is this sort of a startup company, and um, yeah. So 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 basically, uh, um, sorry, go ahead with your question. No, no, no. Go ahead, Nelson. Please continue. So so uh, basically, how it uh, works is that. Um, it's really just designed for uh, people that uh, are low vision, so it's not specific to uh, people that are uh, completely blind. Uh, so, uh, and in this case, it's for people that have a peripheral vision, or uh, or um, or have like a, what we call like tunnel vision. Uh, so, if you have a RP or a glaucoma, uh, then these glasses are more suited for you, uh, since there's no real audio component in it. It's more of a visual aspect where it enhances. Um, the, the vision that uh, you, you may have lost uh, in your uh, in your uh, peripheral, uh, Nelson. Beyond sort of the, the marketing side of this, any any thoughts about the potential here? Maybe more broadly about smart glasses. It feels like all these tech makers are sort of making these claims, utilizing uh, the embedded cameras, and as you say, no audio component to this one. But it seems like this is just part of a, a much bigger picture, rather than a really interesting specified product. I mean, well, the good, good thing about this is that it's uh, Panasonic's behind it, so <clears throat> they have a lot of R and D uh, behind this technology. So you're more likely going to see something like this actually uh, on the market, uh, with the exception of like a just a, a small co company. So uh, I would expect to see these, uh, even though they didn't make an announcement of when they're going to be revealed. Uh, they are saying that you know it's a, it's a 5.2K. Uh, panel screens. So, uh, uh, for example, if if someone has an obstacle or steps or even like a hole up ahead, uh, the uh, AI and robotic uh, technology that they have with the sensors, it's going to see that technology and it's going to translate that to the uh, OLED panels that's uh, on the screen, and then that's going to be customized uh, to your vision. So you'll be able to see what basically are those uh, blind spots that uh, you would normally be able to see if uh, if you didn't weren't wearing the glasses. So. But in you know reality, it's going to be uh, you know real world experience to see how it works. But uh, it's cool to see uh, you know more accessibility companies getting involved with CES. Um, and, and this is uh, they didn't have like a huge turnout this year, but it was it was a lot bigger than what they had before, uh, you know, with the lockdowns before. So yeah. uh, it's exciting to see some new names in the in the market uh, for accessibility that are getting involved. Um, in this sort of thing with low vision. Yeah, in the first hour of the show, I did a bit of a recap about some of the, maybe not necessarily explicitly accessible technology that was unveiled yeah. at CES, but some of the stuff that was adjacent, right? Some of these smart toilets that are all about non-touch and like non-engagement. It's all using sensors and automation. There was stuff like the robotic lipstick applicator or the perfect eyebrow stuff that L'Oreal was rolling out. A yeah. lot of exoskeleton stuff, which still kind of trips me out the way in which like that's gonna be used, but certainly you were seeing accessibility, if not said explicitly, definitely an undercurrent throughout the CES experience over the last few days in Vegas. Yeah, I mean, the only, the only way you're going to be able to sell this product is it's got to be a counter, sort of a, a universal product, because yeah. if you're just selling specifically to the blind or people are partially sighted, it's, you know, realistically, it's it's not a, a big customer base. So if you, if you kind of spread that out and make it universal, you know, like GPS at one time uh, used to be, uh, you know, screen reader technology was involved in that. So uh, if you can make it so that it works for everybody, then you'll, you'll see it uh, more adopted in, uh, in the real world. Nelson, speaking of a real-world understanding and application in the way in which we are going to engage with things, you want to talk about adjusting individual text, text sizes for individual apps on the iPhone as part of your tech 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 tip today wow that one rolled right <laughs> off the tongue uh but nelson this is one that i'm sure people are very familiar with that maybe they've set the general text size on their phone and it doesn't apply to individual apps so how can somebody go into adjusting individual text sizes in their apps on an iphone yeah this is one of those uh technologies that's that's kind of good for everyone so if if you're having a little bit of um eye strain on certain apps because not app every app is built equally uh and you don't want to get involved or get too much into depth as far as accessibility and, and zooming everything in uh but <clears throat> you, you are having some issues with some of the text sizing so uh th this feature sort of dabbles into that and it's uh it's pretty straightforward to set it up uh, so if you go into settings and then um, control center 
and then you scroll down to a uh, text size and enable that uh and then you have to make sure that uh that all apps is is also enabled on top right screen i think that's a green uh icon and then uh, w once you've enabled that uh then you can go to an individual app uh, let's say for example you, you have uh, an app that you use every day and just the text is just a little bit smaller than you'd like uh, you don't want to go reaching for those glasses uh, to sort of uh, zoom it in. So so this will enable you to, uh, uh, for example, if you have a phone with uh, no button, uh, you do like a, a single finger swipe down for the right, uh, top right. Uh, and, and then if you have a button, uh, like a fingerprint button, you'll do a, a single finger swipe up to uh, uh, activate the control center. And then you want to tap on the text size. And then from there, uh, to do an individual app, you want to make sure it's for this app only. Uh, there'll be an option for this app, all apps. And then uh, from there, you'll be able to uh, adjust the text size. Now, on my end, with VoiceOver, it reads up to 135%, so I'm not sure if that's an accurate number. Uh, but it does increase it uh, for that particular app that you're in. And then uh, you would um, uh, t tap on the, uh, in a blank sort of part of the screen. You do that twice. And then that uh, app, every time you open it from there on end, you'll uh, keep it at that text size. And then, of course, you can always uh, change it later. Um, and then if you want to do it for all your apps, uh, there is that option instead of doing individual to make it for all apps instead of just that one app. Um, so that's a, like a quick way of uh, people that want to uh, just sort of increase the text size. And you just have to set it up once um, so it'll make it easier for you to uh, check out those apps. Nelson, thank you for this. We appreciate it. Thank you, Dave. That is Nelson Rago, the founder of Cool Blind Tech, talking to you from Edmonton. You can follow the Cool Blind Tech gang on Twitter at Cool Blind Tech, at Cool Blind Tech on Twitter. Coming up after the break, Alex Smythe will conduct the roundtable alongside Ramya and Nazreen. We are going to discuss how we choose to watch or listen or read or eat the things that we eat. How can you break through and get us to try something new? This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Let's bring together the round table. We start by saying hello to AMI audio producer, Nazreen Abdelmajid. Hello, Nazreen. How's it going? Not too shabby. And let's also say hello to Ramya Amuthan, the co-host of Kelly and Ramya, which made its TV debut yesterday. Good morning, Ramya. Good morning, Dave. And of course, the person who conducts the round table is my co-host, Alex Smythe. Hello, Alex. Hey, Dave. So Alex, what's so, on your brain today? Yeah, yeah, let's let's dive right into it. So uh, this was something uh, on the weekend. I actually went to a used bookstore, and you know, I, I was walking through and seeing all the different rows and rows and rows of books, and I, I found this really exciting uh, science fiction short story um, kind of collection. And you know what? How it first kind of struck me was the the cover was so bright vibrant it kind of stood out on the shelf amongst everything else so I started to kind of think it's like well when you're looking for a new book when you're looking for a new show to watch a movie or even a podcast like what do you look for in a new one especially if you have no uh, reference to the content out there I mean you go on any streaming services there's just hundreds of titles that you're just kind of passing by so I, I wanted to find out from everyone is like what is it that really makes you want to click on something is it the clever title? Is it a well-written synopsis? Is it a trailer, a teaser? Is it recommendations from friends and family that you need to either read this, listen to this, watch this? Like, what is it that really gets you to check out something that you may not have a lot of information about going into it? So, uh, Ramia, why don't we start with you? Well, I think that um, there's a lot to say about our devices listening to us because sometimes uh, there, <laughs> there's something that I, you know, the, that I've tapped into or that sounded kind of interesting to me. And all of a sudden, Alex, it's like everywhere I go, this thing is popping up. So um, I'm trying to give you an example. But like, you know, lately, for example, if I'm talking about trying to make the best meatloaf and, and I've just been talking about it with my friends and then all of a sudden it's all over my TikTok, it's all over my Instagram, it's all over my Audible record 
recommendations mm. and i'm going wow thank you this is very convenient but also kind of scary um but in general I, this may sound really generic but i really love recommendations from people so you know a a few times dave you've talked about books that have either like made you cry or you found it the best book of the year or something like that and i take notes of these and then i just go down the list of recommendations sometimes if i'm not in the mood it's it's more that it's a process of elimination rather than what grabs me because um if i'm going down the list and i'm like mm, this sounds like a serious read and i'm really in the mood for something funny right now mm. i'll just keep going until i find something that suits that vibe but other than that i just absolutely love recommendations i'm going to uh, cop out a little bit to alex's question and say it's a little bit of everything of the above all of the above that said alex one of the things that i find myself doing more and more especially in the podcast space is that one host will pop onto a show that I like. And the example that I would give you is Derek Thompson is the host of a podcast called Plain English. He came on to talk to Bill Simmons on the Bill Simmons podcast a couple of years ago. And right away, I was so, so engaged by the way he was talking about current affairs and politics that at the end of that interview, when Bill said, oh, people should check out your podcast, Plain English, it's really good. That was the next thing I went to. I was the next thing in my Spotify that I went to. I started listening to Derek's podcast, fell in love with that podcast. And then what happens is he starts bringing on guests on his podcast and I start listening to their podcast and it turns into this total domino effect. So for me, it's, it's almost less of a recommendation and more of like, I just need a little sample, a little amuse-bouche. It's probably one of the same reasons why movie trailers are such an important part of me going to see the movies. I like being there on time to watch the trailers because that will give me a sense of what I'm going to want to see one month or six weeks or two months from then when I go back to the theater. Nazreen, what about you? How do you find yourself being drifted towards content? I see what you mean, Dave. Uh, I feel like that when it comes to movies, I need to know who's acting in it. For example, if I see The Rock and Kevin Hart in one movie, I'm going to watch that oh, movie, yeah. you bet. Um, so, and it also depends on the trailer. So I think it's a bit of uh, a balance between the two. Uh, who's in the movie and the trailer itself. If the trailer is really good, I'm going to watch it. If it's not, then it's not worth my time. It's not worth my money. So, Alex, I'm, I'm going to come to you here. I'm not sure if we lost Nazreen there. Or if, or if, or, yeah, we lost Nazreen there. So I'm going to go back to Alex here. Alex, take us back into that bookstore and what made you finally grab that title off the shelf? You, you may have said it, but, but, but elaborate a little bit. What is it that made yeah. you reach out and grab that book? Well, it was so interesting because I didn't really realize what was happening at the time, but... I, I was walking through, you know, it's a lot of the age, like gently used or sometimes more than gently used books. So they're, they're that kind of tan to darker tan, slightly stained pages. You know, the, the spines are all like kind of bent and crooked and they've got those lines in them. And then all of a sudden on top of a, a, a whole pile of these books was this nearly pristine, white covered, clean <laughs> book that had bright red and blue lines that were kind of interweaving in in like the double helix of of uh, dna strands and it just like popped and it just popped on the shelf like kind of like there was like a light shining off of it. it's like what's this and then i pick it up and it's like oh this is from an author who's won the hugo award won other great uh, literary awards oh this is interesting turn over the back then oh this is science fiction short stories i love science fiction short stories Okay, now this is mine. I'm, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm hooked. Mm -hmm. I, I've given it a chance. I, so, the fact that it was that visual cue was the very first thing that drew me to it, and then everything else kind of built off of that. But I'm sure there would have been countless books in that store that I would have been happy to read. But it was that visual cue of this yeah. is standing out. This has caught my attention. And so now I'm focused in on it. Which then leads to something of an accessibility question, right? Because mm -hmm. all four of us are on the spectrum of blindness. We all have our different level of sight. But I'm also someone who can sometimes be struck by a visual cue, especially on the cover of a book. Like let's say you go to the airport bookstore and you're just looking for a magazine or a book to grab and bring onto the plane with you. There are these moments where there's some stuff that's on the shelf that I just won't 
grab because the title is unclear. Whereas sometimes you get big, blocky, bold font. Boom, and it's right there in your face and you know exactly what you're getting. Nizreen, we've got you back. I can tell because I hear your bird. Nizreen, in, in your case, can a visual cue work for you even though you're part of the blind community? Yeah, I think so. Um, so I, we, me and Ramya, like we spoke about this earlier on audiobook review and what catches our attention when it comes to books. So I go to Indigo, I feel the texture of the books. I mm. do, I do judge a book by its cover. If I see that this is eye catching just from the start, I already know that this is a book for me. That's just how I am. So I do look at the cover for sure. I feel it, I smell the pages. I then turn over and read the synopsis. Um, that's, I feel like it kind of builds up on how much you're gonna love this book. Ramya, what about you? Again, understanding we're all on the spectrum here a little bit differently, can a visual cue, the way in which something presents itself visually impact whether or not you're going to press play or pick it up? Yeah, absolutely. And I've even picked restaurants based on this. Uh, you know, I can read the title. Let's walk in. This is a <laughs> this is a food establishment. Um, that kind of feel is definitely empowering. Like when you have low vision and you can actually read something on there, you're like, okay, great. I'm one step closer to <laughs> to connecting with this book, like Nazreen said. Um, but also. You know, some of the first books that I've ever read, like novels, were Goosebumps simply because they had the tactile, shiny title mm, uh, in mm. that gruesome, mm -hmm. like, blood drip lettering. And that was so impressive to me because I was like, hey, this is, I can read this. Like, I can feel it and I can see it because it stands out. And th that was the only reason why I picked up those books at all. So a part of that still sticks with me. You know, if somebody's... Um, given an image description of the title page or something like that where the visuals are if you are connecting to the visuals in some way i think it does make a difference little tight for time here guys so we've got to be quick on this last question and ramya i'm going to start with you in a world where we have so much content available to us so many things to stimulate the senses and maybe so many people in our lives that are offering us recommendations does it almost fall to a point that it becomes difficult to accept a recommendation anymore because you might get 10 to 15 recommendations a day mm -hmm. yeah uh, it is it is very difficult but i find it more difficult to just go on uh, audible or netflix or whatever your podcast platforms and scroll until you find something that's why i like what you were talking about the sampling because it just gives you a real life look at what this book or episode might be right and and try to engage with it that way but I, that's why i make a list and i actually <laughs> chronologically go through i am a child of the costco generation nizreen same question to you does it feel like we get so many recommendations that they almost blur together oh yeah my sister's a bookworm so she recommends everything to me um <laughs> i don't listen uh, same thing as ramya i go on tiktok or something and they have this hashtag like uh different book rec recommendations themselves and they make it so interesting they make a little trailer for that book and it gives you like notes on what the book is about and um you know how much people rate it on tiktok and instagram so people all across the globe like recommend these books so i'm not gonna just listen to my sister obviously because mm -hmm, mm -hmm. she's biased let's go with the world <laughs> <laughs> alex this was such a great question it was such a great topic i want to give you last word on here does it feel like we get so many recommendations during the course of a day or a week that to a certain point they just blur together and you can't even remember what people recommended to you sometimes absolutely and i find what i end up doing is i also like rank the people who are giving me the recommendations based on what they've recommended in the past so there's people if if one certain person will give me a recommendation i'm 100 percent on board but if it's like someone who's recommended three things before and i haven't liked any of them okay you're, you're towards <laughs> the bottom of the list thank you for the recommendation you won't know that you're on the bottom of my list i'll still say thank you oh that's cool i have to check it out I'm just not going to check it out. <laughs> the credibility gets shot. Alex, Nazreen, thank you for this. Ramya, you don't get to go anywhere because before we say goodbye to you, as the co-host of Kelly and Ramya, now available on AMI-audio and AMI-tv at 2 p.m. Eastern time, you have to give us a taste and a moose bouche for what's coming up on the show today. 
All right, here we go. So we're talking about our animal friends because sometimes they're very, very amazing. They're impressing us with physical and mental skills that we didn't even know they had. So veterinarian Dr. Danielle Jonkine is going to tell us more about what she's found about these uh, amazing animals. Also, we're talking to Alexis Villiard from the Stump Kitchen. She's going to talk to us about uh, her YouTube channel. She's also got a bit of a demo for us about how she works in her kitchen. So I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, and Karen McGee is joining us for our collections and hobbies segment. She, she's got a ton of collections, Dave. <laughs> she sure today, does. <laughs> <laughs> today we're focusing on just one of the millions of things that she collects, and that is children's books. Well, Karen McGee is going to be all over AMI-TV today because she'll be part of the weekly news quiz in the next segment. But Ramya, you guys did a great job yesterday on your TV debut. Looking forward to uh, catching it again today. Thank you, Dave. That's Ramya Amuthan, the co-host of Kelly and Ramya, which comes your way 2 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio and AMI-TV. As mentioned, the weekly news quiz is up next. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-TV. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-TV. It's Tuesday. It's the last segment of the show. You know what that means. It's time for the weekly news quiz. Bow. There we go. Yes, that's right, ladies and gentlemen. The weekly news quiz involves three contestants. Let's say hello to them, beginning with my co-host. It's Alex Smythe. Hey Dave, good to be back, a segment to segment. And someone who will be on the Kelly and Ramya collection segment today as a whole collection of News Quiz wins, it's Karen McGee. I'll be talking about books though, Dave. <laughs> We're talking about books. And a very special guest, I believe for the first time in the Now with Dave Brown News Quiz era, it's Janice Davidson-Presick. Hello, Janice. Good morning. Thanks for having me. So excited. We are grateful to have you today, Janice. And because it's your first time, let's explain the rules. There are three rounds of questions, three questions per round. Each question comes with three multiple choice questions. If you answer the question without hearing the options, you get two points. If you need to hear the options and get it right, you get one. If you get it wrong, eh, we move on until the point is awarded. The order of contestants and questions were drawn up by our producer, Paul Daniel. The order will be Alex, Karen, and Janice. So Alex, question number one of round number one going to you. The military leader of which country pardoned more than 7,000 prisoners during a ceremony marking 75 years of independence from Great Britain? Ooh, I missed this one. I'll need the options, Dave. Was it Myanmar? Was it Botswana or was it Grenada? Hmm. Let's go with Botswana. That is incorrect, which means Karen McGee gets the next crack at this one. I'm going to go with A. Myanmar, that is correct. One point for Karen McGee. And that leads Karen beautifully into question number two. Karen, who has become the first person ever to lose $200 billion in wealth? Elon Musk. Two points for Karen McGee, up to three-nothing after becoming the second person to ever become worth $200 billion in January 2021. Uh, Tesla stock has taken a bit of a dive, and Elon has lost about $200 billion. Don't worry, I don't think he's on food stamps just yet. Janice, it's going to be difficult for you to get on this one here because Karen's already off to a roaring lead, but question number three of round number one goes to you. Canada's Valérie Grenier won gold at the World Cup winter event this weekend in Slovenia. Janice, in what event did she compete? I'm going to hazard a guess downhill skiing. Oh, I'm sorry. That is incorrect. Right. That was one of the options, though. Alex Smythe, do you want to take a whack at this or do you want the options? Considering that was going to be my guess, I'm going to take the options. So the other options were speed skating or slalom, which to me is kind of like downhill skiing, but I understand there's a difference. I'll go with Swallow. That is correct. Sorry, I might have given away. <laughs> I might have given away too much there. I, I see. I thought it was downhill skiing, so I mean that would have been my second choice regardless. So. 
<laughs> Sorry, guys, I may have ruined the integrity of the game. I'm like the NFL over here. No, I think we split the point yeah. now. Yeah. <laughs> See, Janice understands how this works already. Janice already understands Absolutely. wrangling. So the 26-year-old is the first Canadian winner of a Women's World Cup giant slalom race since Kathy Kreimer won in 1974. So after one round, we have Karen with three points, Alex with one, and Janice with zero. We're not being very gracious to our special guest, get Janice, but hopefully she can get on the board here in round two. But question number one of round number two goes to Karen McGee. Karen, last week, which country became the 20th to adopt Euro as its current currency? Oh, I'll take the choices. Was it Croatia? Was it Albania? Or was it Belarus? I'm going to say Croatia. That is correct. Croatia's former national currency was the kuna. That's it. That's the only information I can give you. <laughs> Thank you, Paul Daniel. That's four points for Karen McGee now with this commanding lead. But here comes Janice. Here's a great opportunity for Janice. And we're staying in EU here, Janice. The EU fined Meta $414 million last week. What did Meta do that the block ruled was illegal? May I have my options, please, Yeah, this Dave? is one that I think options are necessary. Facebook allowed children under 13 to buy cryptocurrency. Facebook and Instagram sold images as stock photos. Or Facebook and Instagram effectively forced users to accept personalized advertisements. I'm going to go with C. That is correct. One point for Janice. Janice is yes. on the board. Meta was fined for essentially requiring users to accept personalized ads. The ruling is one of the most consequential issued under the EU's data protection law. So four points for Karen, one point for Janice, one point for Alex. Alex, you get question number three of round number two. Paula White Kane, a U.S. televangelist and spiritual advisor to former U.S. President Donald Trump, was accused last week of trying to illegally access the bank bank accounts of this 1970s era rock band. What group was it? I have no idea. I'll need the options. Is it Chicago? Is it The Who or is it Journey? I mean, such a bizarre thing. Oh my goodness. Um, I'm gonna go with Chicago. That is incorrect, which I believe gives Karen the next crack at this. Um... This is the most bizarre question I've ever heard. Um, I'll go with the who. That is incorrect. Janice, oh. you get the default point. Well done. According okay. to Nilsson, <laughs> Nilsson, the other remaining original members of Journey, uh, White Kane and her husband, Journey keyboardist Jonathan Kane, had been inappropriately accessing the band's financial resources. A lawyer, of course, denies this allegation. So after two rounds, Karen has four, Janice has two, Alex has one, and Janice gets question number one of round number three. Janice is part of a package of measures designed to reduce waste and in Increase recycling, tobacco companies will be charged for cleaning up discarded cigarette butts in which country? I'd like my options, please. Your options are Italy, Spain, or Cuba. I'm going with Cuba. That is incorrect. I believe next crack goes to Alex. Yes, it is Spain, if I remember correctly. That is correct. Alex now at two points. The bill includes a ban on single-use plastic cutlery and plates and cups and plastic straws and cuts back on plastic food packaging. So now we've got a really competitive game here, a 4-2-2 scenario with the next question going to Alex. Alex, last weekend, Raj Pillay was acclaimed leader of this territory's Liberal Party. Which territory is it? Well, I gotta try to catch up to Karen here, so uh, I am going to say Northwest Territories. Ooh, that is incorrect. Karen, do you want options or do you know the answer? I'll take the options, please. Is it the Northwest Territories, the Yukon or Nunavut? I'll say Nunavut. That is incorrect. Oh! Janice with another default point, doing some domination over here. Polite was a key cabinet minister and deputy premier under Sandy Silver's government in the Yukon. So now we've got Karen at four, Janice at three, Alex at two, with the last question going to Karen. And Karen, I'm telling you, even though you watch a lot of CNN, this one's tough. Last Friday, Kevin McCarthy was elected Speaker of the House in the United States after becoming the first individual in 100 years not to win the vote on the first ballot. 
Karen, making you do some math here, how many ballots did it take for McCarthy to win the job of speaker? He won on the 15th ballot, I believe. Oh, Karen McGee, swinging for the fences for the big old win. Oh my God, you weren't glued to the TV at 11 o'clock on a Friday night watching it? You may find this hard to believe. I was doing something different at 11 o'clock on a Friday night. I, I was. <laughs> it took 15 ballots for McCarthy to win the job after numerous bargaining sessions with 20 members of the Freedom Caucus who'd resisted his candidacy. So let's get the imaging ready here because it's time to declare our first winner of 2023. And unsurprisingly, it is... Ba, 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 ba. Fireworks, fireworks, fireworks. It's Karen McGee. Congratulations, Karen. Thank you very much. Thank you. I owe it Congratulations. all the <laughs> Janice, we have this really bad habit of inviting special guests on the show to be part of the news quiz, and then we don't let them win. I'm very sorry that we couldn't give you a I tried. today. Blame Better Karen. luck next time. Please invite me again. <laughs> Absolutely. And Janice, thank you for uh, popping around the office yesterday. Your kind words were uh, well taken after the uh, launch of this new studio and the launch of uh, Kelly and Company. We appreciate all the work you and our colleagues at Marcom are doing. Oh, thank you so much. Very proud moment. That is Janice davidson Presick. Karen McGee is our news quiz winner, and Alex Smythe is the co-host of the show. Karen McGee already picking up a win in 2023. That's all the time we have for the show today. Don't worry, we'll be back again tomorrow morning. We'll have a conversation about Braille Literacy Month with Natalie Martin-Yellow. We'll talk all about where Braille sits in the current landscape and maybe some exciting developments going on inside the Braille world. You don't want to miss it. That show gets going at 9 a.m. Eastern time. Don't forget, you can always reach out to us and Send us your feedbacks and thoughts on what we do. Send us emails, feedback at ami.ca. Find us on social media at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook and Instagram, at Accessible Media on Twitter and TikTok, or give us a ring ding ding, 1-866-509-4545. Until tomorrow morning, I'm Dave Brown reminding you to play safe, play fair, but don't forget to have some fun. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. The Walrus is Canada's conversation, and you're invited to take part. Download AMI's Voices of the Walrus, where professional narrators read selected articles from the magazine. Available wherever you download your AMI podcasts.